So, um, been speaking over the last few weeks about purpose and meaning to life. And as part of that conversation, we spoke about um, academic research that's been done that clearly demonstrates that when you engage in certain types of activities, they produce happiness. People actually become happier and they begin to develop a sense of of purpose. In the one of the concluding statements to their introduction, these academics wrote that people who have meaning and purpose in their lives are happier, they feel more in control, and they get more out of what they do. They also experience less stress, anxiety, and depression. But where do we find meaning and purpose? The answers vary for each of us, but they all involve being connected to something bigger than ourselves or ourselves. And this is, from a spiritual perspective, profoundly true. Uh, one of the things that we, we've discussed and talked about is that on the spectrum, on one side of selfishness or self-centeredness, and on the other side, selflessness. As one approaches and gets closer to the spectrum of self-centeredness, one's life automatically, because of the nature of your pursuit of happiness, the nature of your interpersonal relationships, the way that you see things will fundamentally lead to or produce at least unhappiness. And when I say self-centeredness, I'm not talking about the bratty kid in the supermarket screaming because he's not getting his lollies. I'm talking about, you know, us and how we have this powerful tendency to really look at everything in relation to myself. I decide what I'm going to do, what I'm doing with my life, the nature of my connection and relationships. Often it's about, well, I like it or I don't like it, what I'm getting out of it, what's in it for me. And this is a, of course, it's human nature, but we understand in the spiritual teachings of the Vedas that we actually have 
a higher and a lower nature. The higher nature is that nature that is closer to our deeper spiritual being, the soul itself. And when one becomes absorbed in that which is external and temporary, the mind and the body, then it produces this tendency to spiral down into ever-increasing unhappiness and courses of action and, and the nature of our relationships. I mean, I think everybody has experienced this, how something, I mean, what's always amazing is when people get together with a view to marrying or committed to some partnership and life or whatever people are going to call it. Everybody starts out with the hope of happily ever after. Nobody sets out with the thought, okay, we'll do this for about, mm, let's say, three months or three years, and then let's crash and burn. <laughs> I mean, that's, that wasn't the goal. That wasn't the objective. And, and things happen this way, not just by chance and because of the wind direction or something. It's a product of, of choices that we make and the types of consciousness that we choose to live in. So this idea of, of being connected to something bigger than ourselves, this can be played out in, in different ways. I mean, it raises the question, is there like a hierarchy of purpose or meaning? Is there some purpose or meaning that is higher than others? And that's, that's a significant question. And how do you rate things? What's, what's the way in which people look at things or should look at things or experience things? to uncover this reality? Well, a, a lot of it has to do, I mean, the question is, you know, what is the per my purpose in life? What is the purpose of life? And the way in which you will answer that will be determined by what you consider your life. This is not a... a a, a, a flaky idea. This is a really profound truth. And as we've mentioned numerous times before, the vast majority of people, they consider their life the time between birth and death. They call that their life. And the reality is that's not true. That's absolutely not true. This is not your life. This is just a series of events, a series of different things that happen to you or you bring upon yourself. Just a series of events. If I use that as though as my foundation to consider purpose, then these same things that we've discussed and what these academics have found out still apply. They still apply. The question is whether that purpose that we derive from that, the idea of kindness, the idea of compassion, 
of, of affection and love, the idea of doing good for others, is that actually the highest purpose? That's a serious question. There is another way of looking at life when I talk about my life. And this is the spiritual perspective. Life is a symptom of the presence of a spiritual being. Life does not arise from atomic particles. It can't. Atomic particles and matter don't produce life in spite of some peeping people proposing that they that they can produce life no it's not not a fact in the world alex we are constantly experiencing two categories of energy one is the material energy that's all the stuff the body that i'm wearing but we're encountering another type of energy. These are animated living beings. This manifestation of, of life, of being alive, signifies the presence of the spiritual particle, this other type of energy that, that manifests the symptom. And if I consider this is what life is, then when I ask the question, so what is the purpose of my life? Whoa, that's a whole nother question. If I think my life is the period in between birth and death, then I, I can come to certain conclusions, obvious conclusions. But if I relate to life as being my inherent characteristic me as a spiritual being residing within this body, and then I ask that question, what is the purpose of this life? That's like, whoa, now, now we're getting really serious. <laughs> this, is, this is the really big question. Whether a person chooses to seek purpose in this period between life and death and the events surrounding you know, what goes on during that, that that's fine. That's fantastic. Definitely people need to do that. But it is, is it going to ask, answer the, the very big question? The big question of who am I? What is my true purpose? Why do I feel alone? Why do I feel out of place? Why do I experience emptiness? These are things that everybody um, experiences. So, um, I'm going to address that second item that I raised. Your eternal nature. You are an eternal spiritual being. This, what you're calling your life, this body that you have on the relationships that you're building in this life, these are temporary. 
they will pass and they will come to an end as everything within the material world does. There is always a beginning and an end. My nature, my deeper spiritual nature is as an eternal spiritual being. My desire for happiness, my desire for love, for permanence, for shelter. These are actually spiritual desires. They're not material. But when we try to fulfill them simply on the material plane, even though we might get a buzz and a rush and things might seem to be going okay for a while, invariably, things don't keep going like that. Last week we talked about then, you know, how, how can you actually know whether there's a higher purpose and higher meaning? And we referenced and spoke about, you know, these spiritual authorities, these amazing um, transcendental texts that are used as the foundation for all yoga teachings and for all um, spiritual teachings and, and the journey of spiritual life. We reference them as being, you know, what was held by the great yogis to be a, a, the highest authority, that they were beyond the defects of mundane existence. One of the great teachers in our lineage, um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, over 500 years ago, he made a couple of really significant statements. Well, of course, more than a couple, but I'm going to refer to a couple um, that dealt with this, this subject. And they dealt with the subject on two levels, both those levels, the level of, you know, this time in between my birth and death and the relationships and things, you know, connected with that, but also on the deeper level of, of my deeper spiritual purpose. So he stated that one who has taken his birth as a human being, and I'll just pause here for a minute, you know, there is this recognition that all life is exactly the same, meaning that we are all equal. Even if life manifests in a lower life form, that lower life form that we may refer to as an animal or anything like that, that's only the, the covering. The living being, the spiritual being, the Atma, the self within, we, we are all um, brothers and sisters. We are all equal. There is no higher and no lower. Human birth was considered so important because it is only when one has this human covering that we are able to ask the question, so what's it all about? Why am I here? What's, what's it for? 
that in other forms of life, life forms, one is compelled to act on desire, on mental states, on instinct. One is compelled to act. The human being is not automatically compelled. We can exercise restraint. We can question. So one who has taken his birth as a human being should, now two things, make his life successful and work for the benefit of all others. So we'll get to the first part of that in a, in a moment. But expounding on working for the benefit of all others, he went on, it is the duty of every living being to perform welfare activities for the benefit of others with his life, with his wealth, with his intelligence, and with his words. And by his work, thoughts, and words, an intelligent person must perform actions which will be beneficial for all living entities in this life and in the next. So even the thought of, of doing good for others, welfare activity, you know, it's not like a person should only focus on the spiritual, if I can put it that way, and then be very neglectful of all others. No, that's, that is a reflection of, of not having a very developed understanding that there is a need and a requirement. And there was a practical manifestation of a person's spiritual development is to feel tremendous empathy for all and to be concerned with their physical well-being and also their spiritual well-being. So the reference to um, the first thing that he stated, that one should make their life successful, he defined that very clearly uh, as it is clearly already defined in the Vedas and other mm, authoritative texts that you will only experience complete fulfillment, complete happiness when one reestablishes this lost connection with the highest truth, with the actual Lord of our heart. So I'm going to read you a verse from the Svetasvatara Upanishad. And it states that the one supreme soul, Ishwara, who lives hidden inside all created things, he pervades all matter and sits within the hearts of all living beings as the indwelling supreme soul or paramatma. He supervises their material activities and thus while having no material qualities himself, he is the unique witness and the bestower of consciousness. So this theme 
is also um, spoken about in the in the Bhagavad Gita, which many people are familiar with. And in this conversation that was taking place in this part of the Bhagavad Gita, there was a description of the material energy and that there was a higher, a higher energy also manifest within the material realm. And that was all of the living beings. And then it describes that yet in this body, there is another, a transcendental enjoyer, who is the Lord and the supreme proprietor, who exists as the overseer and permitter, and who is known as the supreme soul. So I'll read another couple of texts and then I'll just explain um, how the great yogis understood and experienced this reality, this truth. And in this, um, this is found in the Mundaka and the Svetasvatara Upanishads and also in the Rik Samhita. And the, the same verses, they talk about, and, and this is something that we've actually completely lost touch with, that within our heart of hearts, there resides a transcendental personality. That transcendental personality was understood by the yogis to be the greatest friend, the actual shelter, the actual Lord of love and the Lord of my heart. This term that they used to describe this feature of the absolute truth was Paramatma or the Supreme Soul. The Supreme Soul or the Paramatma was distinct from the living being and the living being fulfilled his actual spiritual purpose for existence in perfect and loving union with this Lord of one's heart. This is the meaning of the word yoga. This is the meaning of the union that has been described in this word. So it states, and this is like making it easy for people to relate to, there are two companion birds sitting together in the shelter of the same pipala tree. One of them is relishing the taste of the tree's berries, while the other refrains from eating and instead watches over his friend. Although the two birds are in the same tree, the enjoying bird is full of anxiety and moroseness. But if somehow he turns to his friend, the Lord, and knows his glories at once, he is freed from all anxiety. So this experience, you know, we've, we've spoken over the months about three different types of self-realization and three different types of what can be referenced as God realization or realization of a higher truth. And that spans the experience of an impersonal, beautiful, 
amazing spiritual energy, an ocean of light, all the way to an encounter with a divine spiritual personality who is capable of actually satisfying my heart's desire for love. This focus was actually the focus of the majority of yogis since time immemorial. It's only in the recent times, in the last, you know, perhaps a hundred years, that there has been this deviation into all kinds of strange spaces and people proposing all kinds of ideas and things. This is the very ancient and the most traditional um, spiritual teaching that the whole yoga system was, was founded upon. This it was stated in the Vedas that humanity at large, they pretty much developed four kinds of focus. And it may be at different points in their life, they had these focus, which became their goal temporarily or their purpose temporarily. The first was called Dharma, which referred to leading a, a righteous or life, uh, a life of goodness, of some religiosity, if we can use that term. Then there was Artha, which described the pursuit of economic development as being the primary focus of, in a person's life. Karma speaks to the desire for sensual happiness, to experience different sensual stimulation and to revel in that. And of course, we've already discussed, even though that's the goal in most people's life, it doesn't factually produce happiness. And then this fourth goal was called moksha. Moksha means, literally means liberation, the desire to become free from the suffering nature of material existence. But it is described that while these four things were considered the, the focus and the epitome, the, the high point that different people would, would um, choose to, to direct their life towards, it is also stated that unless and until one can experience the most profound and sweetest experience of the awakening of spiritual love. When that happens, these other four things are seen to be <coughs> insignificant, even though the whole world is focusing on these four goals in different ways and forms. So this awakening of, of spiritual love was considered the actual highest purpose of your existence. It connects with the very nature, the actual natural function of the soul itself. And it is described that this pure love for the Supreme Soul is eternally established in the hearts of the living entities. 
It is not something to be gained or acquired from any external source. When the heart is purified by the hearing and chanting of these spiritual sounds, then this love naturally awakens. So the process of, of this journey, this spiritual journey, is not an artificial imposition. It is about uncovering what is already there. Each one of you, each one of you has a perfect spiritual nature. That is your nature, which has been temporarily covered, covered by material consciousness. You don't have to become a great person. You don't have to have unique ability and talent. We are speaking about the very nature of the soul itself. And the process of yoga is really about uncovering what is there, what has been buried and forgotten for so long, so many lifetimes. And by this process, this awakening can occur and this natural expression of love for the Lord of our heart will naturally manifest. And in this state, there is no higher perfection to be had. So whether one wants to attempt to go in that direction or whether one doesn't want to have any interest, there is a need, though, to adopt these sound and real principles that make it so that we can experience significantly more happiness and become free from a great deal of the distress that comes from a self-centered existence. Okay? That's the conclusion. It's a big subject. Is that okay or what? Everybody's so quiet. <laughs> it's totally far out, I'm telling you. This is, not, this is not a theory. This is not some flaky idea. This is a genuine spiritual experience and revelation that each one of you can have in the highest degree. One simply needs to have the appropriate means to effect this removal of all the fog and dirtiness and things that have covered our heart of hearts for so long. And of course, the most effective means to do this is this process of bathing in, literally immersing ourselves and bathing in this spiritual sound that clears away all of the dust and dirt and nasty things that have covered the heart for so long so that your eternal nature can begin to manifest. Okay, so I will... I'll probably fall over the table if I stand up. No, no, I mean this.
This um, chanting, and I may follow Ivishwar's lead and also use this Maha Mantra. This, this chanting, it is actually the song of the heart. It is the cry of the heart. It is an appeal, an earnest appeal for this divine grace so that we can come to experience our true being and reconnect with the highest truth 